Welcome to the Wolf Admin Podcast. Today I spoke with Dr. Courtney Shea from Burke, Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C. Our conversation was similar to my discussion with Alex Perman last week. It was primarily on how she transitioned from an associate into a practice owner, but with a slightly different path and slightly different priorities. It's a small world since Dr. Shea's new associate was my next door neighbor when I was growing up. Please enjoy our conversation. And as always, if you want to get the most current episodes, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review. But first, please support those who support us. Today's show is sponsored by iCode Education. At iCode Education, we create and host high-quality, relevant, COPE-approved online optometric CE. We offer practice management courses from billing and coding, fee assessment, and chart auditing to clinical courses that focus on topics ranging from the anterior segment to the posterior segment, to myopia control and neurological disease. Additionally, we partner with associations to help them provide their members and non-members with online continuing education at their own pace, on their own schedule. This allows our associations to generate non-dues revenue and provide a valuable service for their members who are allowed to obtain hours from distance learning entities. Check us out at iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. One more time, E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I, I think those those have always gotten really high reviews and I always think it's it's really good to go there because you get it. You get so much information, it's really detailed in one area. The other thing that we did this year um, that I kind of facilitated a group was um, was like a, uh, oh. The brain stream? Yes, the brain stream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. What did yeah, you think of that? Oh, I enjoyed that a lot as well. Yeah, I, I really like, one of the best things about Vision Source, I think, is just being able to talk to your peers and share ideas and just be forced to think about things differently, you know, than you might otherwise. So yeah, I really enjoy all that. Yeah. We, um, what what was really interesting, one of the things that, um, that I did, I don't know if this is how your group was facilitated, but one of the things I was really looking forward to is, um, in Tennessee, Pete Van Hoven, he's an administrator there. He actually, I think he bought Walt West, West practice. Do you know who Walt is? Yes. And, um, and Pete had these, uh, this kind of, uh, I've heard of it before, but he had it really well laid out of, of um, kind of, it's called a mastermind session. And basically what it, what it is, is you go around the room and somebody will present a, a decision they need to make or like a problem they want to fix. And the first go around, you know, so that there's like eight or 10 people in a, in a group. The first go around, the rules are that you can't, you can't, um, offer any solutions. You have to just ask questions that get to more details about the problem or the decision that needs to be made by the person. Okay. And, um, I was fascinated, excuse me, I was fascinated because, um, I had never done it, but I I wanted to kind of test out how it would work. And the first two or three, um, it, it was like, you know, there were all these, so after the first go around, you ask a bunch of questions, the second go around, then you can offer solutions. Well, the first two or three, there was um, a lot of questions, and then there was all these solutions that that kind of hit hit these key points. But then after the first three, I think everybody's brains kind of switched, and so you could see where the next question was coming from, and you could, and actually, a lot of times, what was happening is that 
because we were asking better questions of the person who was trying to make the decision, we were actually getting to the fact that in some of their kind of questions or decisions they were trying to make weren't in fact what they said at first, but it was sort of like tangential to that because of the questions that how they were responding to those questions. And so then by the end, like after the first three or four, everybody kind of figured out the solution, including the person that had, that had been kind of originally asking the question. So I think, uh, so it was really, I mean, it was fascinating. And and that was for me, probably one of the coolest parts of, of the, the brainstream. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That is a cool way to do it. Ours was more, I think everybody was supposed to kind of share something that they were doing well in their practice and then like something that they were challenged by. And then people kind of all just discussed the different things. And of course, a lot of the things are the same and some are different. So it was good though. It was, it was good. Yeah. That's awesome. How how long ago did you graduate from SEO? I graduated in 2012. Okay. So you were a couple years ahead of Kate. Is that right? She was yeah. 2014? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We didn't know each other in school, um, but we kind of, you know how you just know kind of who everybody is or like mm-hmm. you recognize everybody. And then we were at an alumni dinner in DC and met her there. And then we just kind of stayed in touch knowing that we were going to be looking for somebody within the next couple of years as the the doctor that my husband and I bought out retired. Um, and then, you know, we ended up bringing her in when the time came. So she's been with the practice now, I think almost three years. This summer will be three years. Yeah. That's cool. Which, what a small yeah. world. I know. That's so funny. When you said that, I was just like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. We, um, yeah. so, so tell me about that. When you, when you got out of school, you and your husband, did you, well, did you know each other in, uh, did you meet in school or did you meet before yes, school? We met in school. So okay. he is from Kansas city originally. I'm from um, Southern Maryland. And then, you know, we went to SEO. We basically started dating day one, you know, and never Mm. looked back. (laughs) And then we got married right after school. Um, We definitely knew we wanted to be in private practice and ended up deciding that we were going to come out more towards where I'm from, um, be closer to my family. We didn't want to go to Maryland because of the laws there. Mm. Um, So that's how we ended up in Virginia. And at our practice. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're summarizing a lot, but <clears throat> when you, um, when you think about like how you chose that particular practice, sure. um, how did that happen? So we, like I said, we knew we wanted to be in private practice. We were definitely set on eventually owning a practice. Um, we didn't want to work in corporate at all. So mm-hmm. when we were still in school, fourth year, um, we, once we figured out we wanted to be in Virginia, relatively close to like Northern Virginia, DC area, which would be closer to my family. We went to a a Virginia optometric association meeting in uh, wintergreen, Virginia. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, we were the only students there and we had made up our little business cards and everything. Um, we asked if we could go to the board meeting. So they introduced Mm -hmm. us there. We got to know everybody and then they introduced us at the general meeting saying that, you know, we were students about to graduate. We were looking for jobs in private practice. So um, we ended up just meeting a lot of different people. And actually, when we started, I met uh, a TLC rep, you know, a LASIK rep uh-huh. who ended up telling me about the job opening at Virginia Eye Care Center where we are now. And then Tim ended up hooking up with another doctor who was retiring, who he was maybe going to buy his practice. 
he ended up starting at that practice and then just realizing it wasn't the right fit and that he wasn't going to buy this practice, that it uh-huh. was a little outdated, you know, it wasn't exactly what we wanted. And then I loved it where I was and we were very up to date and practicing full scope and, you know, had Optimap and OCT. And the doctor who was the other younger doctor ended up getting married and moving. So we huh. needed somebody else. And then the older doctor was going to be retiring within the next couple of years. So it, you know, it all just ended up working out really well. And it was a vision source practice. Actually, one of the, I think we're number 253. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's been in vision source. Yes, for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So now Tim and I are partners with Anne Macariello as our partner. Okay. And that's the, so, but the old, the original doctor, he's gone. Was Dr. Michael Kaplan. Yes. And he is retired. Yeah. He retired in... We bought his half of the practice in 2014, and then I think he ended up actually retiring in 2016. Okay. Well, what's the what is it like then having um, you know married married partners and then another third partner? How has that worked out? How do you? I was talking um, recently to Alex Perman in South in South Dakota, and um, he doesn't have a partner, and and I'm uh, my partner is my dad, uh, right? And so the. Um, you know, so there's dynamics there, of course. Absolutely. And we're kind of talking about some of that. So how, how have you guys been able to make this work? Um, it definitely, it is a challenge, but it's good. I mean, we're lucky in that, you know, just like I guess the saying is that you have to pick your partner as, as carefully as ah. you pick your spouse. So you do. And, you know, we just all get along really well. I think we have the same values. We have the same vision for the practice. You know, we also kind of know that we're in different stages of our career, but support each other in that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're lucky that it works very well for us. But yeah, there's a lot, a lot of challenges with it as well. But, you know, I think um, so. That's exactly what we were talking about as well is, is the idea that it is similar to a marriage. And, um, and, you know, the, the, there's something, there's something to be said for, you know, being able to kind of figure out that, you know, that you do have, you know, similar ideas for the practice. And, and I think the other thing is that there's kind of this, what's really important is that not only that everybody's kind of moving toward, um, toward the same common goal within the practice, but I think also that you really feel like the other people that are, that you're in partnership with have your best, like your personal uh, and professional best interest at heart. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's yeah. really, really important. And that we're all like, we didn't buy this practice until we did know that this is how we wanted to practice, you know, that we do invest in technology, that we are all about patient care and the culture of the practice, you know, all those things fit. And, you know, we're in line with each other and that we are supporting each other. And that when we do all get along and do the right thing for the practice and for each other, the practice thrives, you know, and everybody's yeah. happy. That's right. That's right, and the patients are better taken care of, and exactly, um, and things and things work well. So then, um, all right, well, let's uh, let me take a little bit of a step back, and and so when you uh, obviously you, you found the practice that was technical technologically advanced, um, when you are thinking about um, when you were looking for for practices in general, what were there specific things that kind of or specific attitudes or what was, what was it that kind of drew you to this practice in, in particular? What was the, you know, again, I'm, I'm trying to get a little bit to 
this idea of for doctors who are thinking over the next few years, they want to sell their practice mm-hmm. um, is, is what kinds of things was that doctor uh, exuding that you picked up on yeah. that um, kind of made you want to be a part of it all? Yeah, I think definitely being up to date, you know, and being willing to change, you know, having the newer technology, you don't have to have everything, but you have to be, you can't be practicing in the dark ages. You know, mm-hmm. you, it's good if you have OCT, if you have fundus photos, you know, you need to have those types of things. You've got to have EMR for sure. Um, or at least be open to and willing to have somebody come in and help you change those things mm-hmm. if you don't have that. But definitely being up to date. And then uh, what I love about our practice is that we're completely focused on the customer experience and customer service, you know, our reviews, those things are important. And that sets you apart from a corporate location, you know, the relationships that you have with your patients. um, Mm -hmm. I think that that's what I was looking for. Yeah, I think that is important. And it's, it always blows me away when I, you know, if you Google, uh, first of all, they're almost non-existent, you know, private or independent ophthalmology practices. I mean, when I say independent, I mean like solo practitioner. Right. In, in in Omaha, they almost don't exist. Well, I, I guess I should say they exist, but um, but not at the same level as independent practice optometry exists. I mean, you know, they must be just getting fed um, fed stuff just from their buddies from medical school because you look at yeah. their reviews online. They're at best, they're bad if they haven't. I know. I can't believe how bad it is sometimes. Even just looking for a primary care doctor too. Like, it's like, well, I guess I'm not going to really pick on the reviews or if half of them are good, I guess that's a good thing. But yeah, optometry in general. I don't know. I think, well, I think when it's a corporate place, they're not focused on the relationships and the patient experience. They may say they are, but if it gets too hierarchical, it's just, that those true relationships aren't there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Which... Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's, that's a good point. I mean, you know, there's even like large, large ophthalmology and optometry groups in Omaha that kind of do, it was, it's just interesting to me. It's almost like if the, if you, I, I guess it makes sense. The stuff you pay attention to seems to get better, right? It seems to right. improve. In our practice, we were the same way. We were hyper-focused on, taking excellent care of, of patients, but also giving them a great experience. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, so like that's going to come through in our reviews because we are, we, we, we want to make it, make sure that they're having, you know, they're having great outcomes, but they're also really pleased with the outcomes they're mm-hmm. having. So it, it does sort of make sense that the groups, even these, so it blows my mind when I see these really big groups that do a lot of primary care and they do surgery too, but they do a ton of primary care and you look at their reviews it's like they got you know they'll have they'll have 20 doctors and um you know the reviews are like two stars it's like yeah. how, how how do they stay in business and and it has to come down to the fact that you know they're just getting fed these referrals from right. primary care doctors just all day long yeah i think too when you're smaller you you can change and you can talk to the person in charge and say hey this is what happened today what should we do yeah. about it but when it's you have to go to this layer and send an email to this person, they talk to this person who doesn't actually know the person that they're talking to, things get lost. 
But if you can come to me, Dr. Shea, and say, hey, this patient had this experience today, and I can say, well, let me just give him a call and talk to him about it and figure out what we can do yep. better, you know, then things happen. Things can move quickly if they need to. Yep. Yeah, I think um, I think that's true. And I think, uh, you know, I don't know if you've, you probably have heard Lori Sorensen talk. Um, yes, many times. You, I love her. Yeah. she And she does this, um, she's with Mick Kling and does this, um, this business of optometry course. And and I had a conversation with Mick recently and, um, and she, uh, she, but, but when I listened to her, you know, one of the things that really stuck with me the first time I heard her give this talk was in, um, September last year. And, you know, she said she empowers everybody in her practice to, um, basically within a certain dollar range to make the situation right. Whatever that is mm-hmm. within that certain dollar range, and it's not insignificant. I think I think her number was like two hundred or two hundred fifty dollars. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, yep. and I, I should like, say that. And she said, you know, one of the things she 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 gave an example of like Nordstroms, I think, and she, um, you know, she went in there and, and she likens the experience she wants people to have with with Nord's with her experience with Nordstroms, and she went in there, and she said, you know, she was she was kind of upset because her the boots that she ordered were um, supposed to be there a week ago. And and, uh, and so she was kind of like, oh, I need these. And then they came or something like that. So they came and then they were the wrong size or something. And I, I can't remember exactly the story, but she went in and um, and she made the comment like, well, you know, she wasn't mad, but she, I mean, she wasn't mad at the person. She was just frustrated at the situation. Sure. And, and she was describing it. And the person said, that's horrible. I can't believe that you've been, like in, in all sincerity, I can't believe that, yeah. that it's taken this long to get it right. What can I do to make it better? And 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 like immediately she was like taken aback, like, well, it's it's bad, but it's not horrible. Like like okay, right. well, it's okay. We, I can wait a little while longer, or, you know, I whatever you need to. Do. So so it was like that mentality. And and I've had this conversation with our our team as well since then, a numerous times. But that's the that's the response I want us to have is, oh, I'm Absolutely. sorry that you know your, your glasses didn't come in. That's horrible. How can we make mm-hmm. this better? I mean, just like like and it just wipes away everything. Um, yeah, because so as soon that, as you start providing excuses instead, then the other person's going to be like, well, it is bad because of this and this and this. It's just going to, yeah, it's so much better if you disarm them and just agree with them. Totally. Because it and, is and bad. Even, even, that's right. And even in our team, like like in our team, I want when something comes up, like like if 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 I if I make a mistake, right, if I don't respond to somebody well or I, um, you know, you know, I, I do something that, um, like, let's say I were to grab a wrong contact lens or something, you know, right. Like something like that, or, or, um, you know, the, I always want to take ownership of it. You know, I, I, I never want to, you know, blame somebody else or, or blame this. I mean, I, I come out immediately and I'm sorry, you're having problems with your glasses, you know, let's fix it. Um, yeah. and, and, uh, and I, I almost think that people a lot of times are kind of trained, even within our teams, they're trained to be defensive to us. So how do, how do you kind of, you know, when, when I, I, want, I want them to be like, yeah, you know, I, I made this mistake. I should have checked this and I didn't, you know, and it won't happen again. And I'm going to like that uh, immediately problem solved. Yeah. How do, you yeah think that, how do you think that you can get people to do that more? What do you think it takes? Well, I think one way is just like you said, you have to embody that yourself, you know? So a lot of times if my staff has made a mistake, I have to think, well, 
ultimately whatever happens in this practice, I'm responsible for. Totally. So did I train them properly to do this? So I tell them, look, if you made a mistake, it's okay. I want to know. It probably means I didn't train you the way that you need. You know, so let's go over this. Let's make sure that you do know how to do it properly. And then if we sit down together and we know, okay, this has been trained and then you make the same mistake, well, then we got to right. talk again and figure out what's going on. But ultimately, right. I'm responsible for everything that happens and for whatever you do in your job. So let me help you make sure that we're doing this right together, you know, that we're all yeah. part of a team together. That builds the culture that you want. Yes. How did sure. you then, so as you grow your practice, I mean, have you ever thought through this a little bit, but now that you have um, Kate Hubner in with you and practice with you, new associate, I guess for the last three years, mm -hmm. as you grow it, um, how do you make sure that that it still has that same personal feel and 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 you kind of make sure that your patients still have the the kind of perception that you want them to have mm -hmm. as they come through? Yeah, that's definitely a big important thing to us. So that's why too, my husband and I have talked before. Like, would we ever want a second location? And I think for us, we say you know anything can change, but right now we say no. Like, we really want to have one location that's big, you know, that grows, mm -hmm. but I want to be there so I can control the experience. So I do know what's happening. And I think if I try to spread, you know, if we try to spread that too thin, something gets lost. Yeah. So growing, but being there, that's why I only see us having one location and making sure right now what our limitation is, is that we're kind of outgrowing our space mm -hmm. and we don't, in Northern Virginia, it's a very, it's an older area. It's very built up. You can't just go build this big new building or find a place to buy. So I just want to make sure that experience doesn't suffer because people are waiting too long or they can't get through on the phone because we're, we're getting bigger than, you know, than the amount of space that we have. So that's our yeah. challenge right now. Yeah. yeah so we're kind of getting creative. With your current space? Yeah, just getting creative in that, okay, I don't have any more room to put people to answer the phones, but I don't need people in the office to answer the phone. Right. I don't necessarily want a call center. I would I would investigate that, but I like to train my people to do it my way, but yep. I could still have them. I could still rent a little place next door and have them do it. So just just thinking all those things through of if we can't get a new big space right now, what can we do to make sure our experience stays at top level? Yeah. Well, it does, it does make you think that, um, you know, we've had uh, doctors in our area that have talked about, well, what if you just get all to get together and we do hire, you know, just make basically make a call center. Um, but you, you have to, if you're going to do that, you all, I think as, as a group, you know, as a vision source group, you have to be really making sure that, the, the experience that patients are getting on that call center are consistent is a consistent desired experience for all those doctors in those different offices. Yeah. And like you're saying, that would be really challenging to give up. You know, one of the yeah, beauties very. of the is we, we could have that option, but the, the other beauty is I like to run the pra my practice the way I want to run my practice. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Vision source is great because it gives you an option to still be independent and do things your way, but to use the resources of a larger group. Yeah. Yeah, so I um so then kind of think think in the next couple of years, how are you, you know, what is this, you know, what are the things that what are the decisions you're going to have to make in order to decide 
in order to get to the point where you can continue to service your, your patients um, in a space that's going to continue to provide the experience that you want to provide for them? What are you going to have to do to get to that point? Um, I think we are going to have to expand, you know, get a bigger space within probably within the next five years or so. So we have to plan that. Um, we'll have to plan, you know, do we need to hire more people and calculating kind of at what level we need to hire them and where we're going to put them. Um, and then, you know, focusing on the the specialty services that we provide. So we do, you know, myopia control, dry eye. At the uh, exchange, we bought an IPL. So we're excited about that, which will be coming in the next few weeks. So just kind of having all the protocols in place and all the paperwork and making sure everybody on the staff is on board and that we implement everything. I still have to go through all my lists from the exchange, all the notes I wrote down and plan out how to, you know, what's to implement and what's next and what order. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Do you find a lot of people doing myopia control in your area? What's your sense of that? Um, I think so. Yes, you know yeah. we're yeah. I mean, not everybody's doing it, obviously. And I don't think I could be wrong, but I don't think like the corporate places and the chains are doing it. Yeah, right. Um, but I do think a lot of the private practices, it's at least on their radar if they're not yeah. doing it. We have um. In our area, you know, Northern Virginia, D.C., people tend to be a little more up to date, I think. And I forget who that doctor is, that Treehouse Eyes. Does that ring yeah, a bell with Gerber. you at all? Yeah. So Gary like he's, yeah. he's in our area. Um, yeah. So I think there's a lot of awareness, at least about it here, which to me. How does me, that work? To me, this, I think that's a good. stuff? I don't know, really, because we don't <laughs> refer to them, you know, because we right. do it ourselves. But I think they want, they have certainly have come by our practice before. I think they want us to refer patients to them for myopia control. Right. But my thought is, well, I'm an optometrist. I think I should do right. myopia control. Right. And I think. Yeah, it, you should. Yeah, of course. And, and we do. So if there's a need for that, every optometrist should do it. But I think yeah. a place like Treehouse Eyes or any optometrist who are doing it, if that brings more awareness to patients. Totally you know, about the value of these services, that's totally fine with me. I think that's great because then they're going to seek me out and they know us and they want us to do it. So I think that's wonderful. Yeah, totally right. I, and and I think, um, yeah, so one of the things that my sense is that like there's sort of this groundswell around around myopia control. And um, we've, you know, our associate, she is down at Vision by Design right now. Okay, and, great. Um, and so we've been doing myopia control in our practice for many years and uh, orthokeratology for way longer. And it just doesn't seem, so I'm kind of, so I've got a really good, and I'm going to have to have her on the, on the podcast. I've mentioned her now probably three or four times, a really good friend, Cheryl Chapman, who is just super gung ho about myopia control. And she's really awesome. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, she's just, I mean, she's just an awesome human being, but she really loves myopia control. And you know, she, she kind of, um, she's into micromanaging it. Um, and so like, you know, thinking about all the axial length stuff and, uh, for me, I'm, I'm more of a big picture guy when it comes to managing it. I think, um, let's, let's provide the, you know, we have these different treatment options. We have medications, we have soft lenses, we have, uh, orthokeratology lenses. Let's figure out the one that's best for your lifestyle and, and let's start there and, and slow it down. And, um, and then if it, we still see progression, we might add another one. But 
um, she, she has this really regimented protocol and I'm, I'm not saying I, I could change my mind. In fact, I probably will. But what she does is, you know, these patients, she's watching them every three months and monitoring treatment and, and adjusting treatment every three months or so if need be. Um, so it's really interesting to me what approach people take. And I'm, I just haven't, I mean, I feel like our protocol works really well in our practice, yeah. um, but I could be convinced of, of another method. Um, yeah, we're more the big, we're, we're the big picture like you are. I mean, we, de we offer the, the atropine therapy, the orthokeratology, and then the, we use the natural view, um, yep. lenses. So yeah, we've got, a you know, like a pros and cons sheet of each kind and we've got the pricing and yeah, we just, we discuss it with the patient and yeah, whatever's best for their lifestyle, depending on their age. We love orthokeratology. So we do a lot of that. Um, but definitely atropine is a good option for those ones who really just don't have any interest in wearing contact lenses or like the ones who are already in soft lenses. It's easy to switch them into the natural view. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of, and then we, we do every six months and, yep. you know, see if there's, you know, been progression and change and talk about it, but kids have done really well, you know, and the parents, it's nice to at least be providing that information and option to everybody, you know, we would be doing our patients a disservice for them not to know about these things and not to have the option. Yeah, I agree. And I, I wonder what's interesting to me is this seems to be an area that, you know, obviously pediatric ophthalmology is completely missing the boat. Um, and, and it's not their, it's not their realm anyway. I mean, but, but you'd think that um, you would hear something. Yeah, we do have an ophthalmologist near us who does just prescribe atropine to kids, but he doesn't explain what it is or why mm. or follow up with them at all. <laughs> They're just yeah. written a prescription for atropine. So I've had a couple of parents come in and say, what is this? You know, what is this for? <laughs> you know, so, so, so I wouldn't say he's quite doing it, but he's, he's writing some prescriptions. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Do you, um, so would you, would you be willing to share your, your explanation sheet? Yeah, absolutely. You want to email that to me? Mm -hmm. You know, in the, in the show notes, what I'll do is I'll put a link to that sheet and mm -hmm. give you credit for it. Yeah. And, um, I, I mean, I'll tell you like, the in terms of like what people want to hear on this podcast, what it seems to be so much that they're thirsting for when I get comments back on it is the is the myopia the control stuff. And yeah. yeah, that but but like people just want to kind of they're super interested in it. Yeah. And um yeah. I so, definitely um recommend to the the Brian Holden myopia yep. control courses, you know, so I've taken those. Um everybody in our practice, you know, all the doctors have taken the courses. Um, and I thought those were really well done, you know, very, very helpful, especially for somebody yeah, starting awesome. out, you know, not sure where to start. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and again, I think that probably the biggest thing is for people and, and you were talking about specialty services and, and kind of having your protocols in line, but I think the biggest challenge for people is wrapping their heads around one non-covered services mm -hmm. and like, like myopia control, like IPL. Um, and how do you figure out a way to to kind of integrate that into your practice in a way that that is not just you know robbing from Peter to pay Paul? So I think right. I think there's a lot to be said for kind of really sitting down and thinking through that. Had you done yes. that? Have you have you done that well? You think? I do. Yeah, I do. I mean, we definitely before we implement a protocol, we do sit down and think about it. Like I think to really implement our myopia control protocol, it took 
months. And I, yeah. I worked on it a lot when I was on maternity leave with my second child, which I don't <laughs> always advocate or tell anyone you're going to have time to do that. Cause I'm with my first one, I had no right. time, but with the second one, I was better and she slept all the time. So I had, to, and we had family here helping. So I had some time to work on it. Um, but yeah, you definitely have to plan it out. You have to get your staff on board. They have to believe in what you're doing and understand the value of it because they're oftentimes going to be the one some explaining a lot or certainly going over the pricing. Like in our practice as the doctors, we don't go over the price in the exam no, room, we but we, no. we definitely present. We spend time with our patients. Our exam slots are actually 30 minutes, which is a lot longer than most people. So for every myopic kid, I sit down and I talk to the patient and I explain to them, you know, what the risks are and that how myopia is, you know, getting increasing so much. And then while I'm refracting the kid, I give the parent the, um, you know, the info sheet about what myopia is and what the different treatment options are. And then once I'm done, I say, okay, here's how much they've changed since last year. Do you have any questions about that? I think this would be a really good fit for him because of this and this and this. So they've had all the education. Then I walk them out and I bring them to the technicians and I say, okay, now can you go ahead and give them the information on, on these methods? Because these are the ones that are going to be the best fit for them. You know, if they're ready to sign up right now, go ahead and let them sign up. If they want to go home and talk about it, or if they have any questions for me later and want to give me a call. So, you know, we kind of have, everybody knows what the protocol is, where the forms are. And I think, yeah, that's definitely important if you're going to do something that people are going to pay out of pocket for. Super important. And and so then do you actually have a different pricing structure for um, for your atropine therapy versus your orthokeratology versus your multifocal soft lenses? Yes. Yeah, we um, – orthokeratology sounds like like in your practice we had been doing longer – um, uh -huh. We do a two-year initial program on the orthokeratology. But I believe that, I don't remember if that includes the lenses or not, but they pay some kind of fee for the first two years. And then after that, it's a reduced fee. And then we Why just... Why two years, Courtney? Why two years? Um, I honestly don't. I am not the one who does all the orthokeratology. My husband does mostly orthokeratology. Uh -huh. So I know he talked to a lot of people and researched and before he decided what to do. What do you guys do at your office? No, it's, a, it's an interesting point because we do a year and that's kind of what we've always done. Um, but, but again, like, like I was saying, Cheryl really has advocated for this initial two-year, you know, when, when I've talked to her about it, kind of this initial two-year period. And her thought was that, you know, that a lot of these kids, in order to find a mechanism that's going to keep them stable... And also, you know, especially if you're on the higher range of some of these myopias, which we've do totally seen in our practice as well, is that, you know, if you're getting, if you're pushing minus six, um, it's going to be hard to get a fit. So you might be four, four, five, six months before now they're really kind of have this solid daytime vision. So mm -hmm. that's her rationale for okay. it is that sometimes it can take a while to get up to that, to get up to speed. But, um, but I haven't just had, you know, I haven't had that experience. I guess I'm trying okay. to get to those kids earlier. Um, and uh, so, but anyway. Um, I think, yeah, I know, I think asking. he initially started off doing it of one year and then changed mm -hmm. it to two years. So I know there must have been a reason, but I honestly don't remember why. Yeah. The, our natural view and our atropine is just one year and then they 
sign like a renew, but we have a contract for each one uh -huh. so that they know, you know, what the pricing is, what is included in that price, what's not included in that price. Um, you know, that they're going to have a, a six month visit. Well, with the atropine, when we start them, you know, we start them on the atropine, then we see them back like two to three weeks later, make sure they're not having any issues or side effects or, you know, make sure the cornea looks fine. Um, and then the six months after that. So then each year, yeah. if they want to continue, you know, they elect to continue with the program, then they'll sign like a renewal contract so that they know that there's an annual fee for it. We don't want them to get confused and think they paid once and they're not going to have to pay again. Right. So, right. you know, they, they renew, they choose to renew each year. Do you, when you set that up, so, um, you know, we were kind of talking about some of the learning labs and did you kind of go through it the same way as kind of figuring out the amount of time you need to generate for specific amounts of, of follow-ups and those sorts of things kind of like I advocate yes. for? Yes, or, exactly. Okay. You did. Excellent. Yeah. 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 So, um, because yeah. Yeah. So then did you, did you kind of use a, uh, did you set a goal for like, this is how much re re revenue we want to generate in an hour? Or did you just say, we want to generate at least what our average is right now? How did you do that? Yeah, exactly. We, we basically figure out, okay, what's our, you know, what's our chair cost or how much revenue do we typically generate? And we've got to be making at least that much. And of course, we'd like to make more right. than that if it makes sense. And if the value that we're providing right. is more than that. So ours is more than that. You know, we want our specialty services to be specialty and to, to bring revenue in and to protect the practice from other services that may be able to be offered online or, you know, you need to offer things that people can't get other places. Yes. Right. Do you think that, um, so in that service, like let's say, um, patient gets atropine, obviously they're still paying for their atropine outside of, of your, of your service contract. Right. That's on their own. Yes. But mm -hmm. the natural view lenses would be through the service contract. Is it, is it included in that? So there's the price for the, there's a price for the fitting itself, you know, and then there's the separate price for the lenses themselves, but that's all on the contract. So they know the pricing for everything, but we still separate, Great. they, they see that you're paying for the services with one fee and you're paying for the lenses themselves with another fee. Yeah, absolutely. And do you give them sort of like a period of, of like a, you know, a week or two, if it doesn't work out, they get any component of the service back or you, you do not? Yes. Yes. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, but is, I think if like, we, I think maybe we give them 30 days and if they decide they don't want to continue or go forward, they get a certain amount refunded, not the whole amount. Um, or yeah. they can apply that amount to a different type of myopia control if they decide they want to switch to something else. But we right. definitely never yeah. give it all yeah, back. So, you know, they need to know that you're they're paying for your time and for all the work that you're doing. Correct. Correct. Yes. Yeah, totally agree. In fact, for us, um, we we do s similar things. I mean, whenever we fit a contact lens, that that's a service that they you know if if they don't continue if they don't purchase lenses, they're that's a service they don't get that feedback. Um, exactly. Same thing with with um, you know with myopia control is. We, we give them a window of two weeks. And if in two weeks they decide they don't want to continue or we decide it's not safe to continue, um, then, then we give them basically half of half of their money back where they can apply it to something else as you're saying. And that seems to work really well. And I, patients get it. It makes sense to them, especially in, in this yeah. realm of healthcare where less and less is covered, you know? Um, 
Mm-hmm. That's always challenging because because Kate said you guys um, you guys do some uh, some meibomian gland expression things now. Is that correct? We have a bluffx. Yeah, we've got bluffx. Okay. We've had okay. that maybe for about six months, but yeah, that's another thing that the patient yeah. pays out of pocket for. Um, right. I think that when you have really good relationships with your patients and they trust you and you, you know each other and that you, they know you're doing what's best for them. You know, they know that you said you don't need new glasses this year because you, your eyes didn't change. You know, I'm going to tell them whatever the truth is. So then they know if I say, look, we've been doing all these things for your dry eye and this is a new procedure that we have. It helps too that, um, unfortunately for Tim, he has pretty bad dry eye. (laughs) So he can tell the patient, you know, this is what I do for my eyes and this is what makes me feel better. And I can tell them, look, we were at this conference and we learned about this and we tried it on Tim's eyes and he felt a lot better and we think it's, it's going to be helpful for you. And I've actually been very impressed with the results I've been getting with the Bluff X. Um, you know, that people really are feeling a lot better. I usually, when we do the Bluff X and we're having our technicians do the Bluff X, um, uh-huh. But then seeing them back, you know, two to three weeks later, and really the, you know, corneal staining is looking better. Their their uh, T butt is lasting longer, and most importantly, probably, is that the patients feel better too. So I've been very right. pleased with that. Right. Yeah. No, I think it's important. I think all those things are important. And you made the comment of, you know, there's there is this push to being more efficient and seeing more patients, and and I really try to balance that. You know, I I see patients every half hour, just like you do. We built into our schedule, and I think you may have been at the, you know, I gave the same talk twice, um, so I'm not sure if I made this point in, in that discussion during the learning lab um, at the exchange at, at your talk. But, um, you know, one of the things that we were seeing was that uh, there was, you know, my schedule was booked out um, about a month in advance. And so what would happen though, is that within the the week before, so like, let's say I look out next week, I'm totally booked, but on Monday, so, so, okay, let's look at next Thursday, right? If I look at next Thursday, I'm totally booked right now. And, Mm -hmm. um, and what will happen over the next, you know, the next week is that people will last minute reschedule, right? Within that week, they'll reschedule. And so what was happening is that we were having these kind of two holes on average, two holes in the morning and two holes in the afternoon in my schedule. So I, when you're seeing patients every half hour, because that's how I like to do things too. I like to talk to patients. I like to educate them about all the things I'm seeing and all the new stuff that's available. And I'm sure we could do a decent job of that by kind of offloading that to a technician if we wanted to and still see a lot of... I think I think people that are really firing all cylinders, they can do that. But that's not me. That's not how I like to practice. Yeah. And, um, yeah. You've got to be happy with whatever you're doing. Exactly. Exactly. So, so it's working well for us. But one of the things that was bothering me was that, okay, well now I'm, I'm left with basically an hour in the morning and an hour in the afternoon that I'm not generating revenue. And, and I think part of that was we were doing a very good job of pre-appointing people for years. And so it's been a custom. So instead of even when we were having a list of like, you know, we can call you, you know, we had this slot open up for tomorrow. Like a cancellation and, list. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. People would be like, well, I'm, I'm happy with my appointment. I made it last year and I've, it works perfectly, you know, so they, they weren't <laughs> and, and oh, by the way, they don't need to get their contacts right away because, um, you know, they've, they've planned for this. And so, uh, so we were having these slots that were just unavailable. So what we did about two months ago is we, 
you know, I see a patient, I start my day 845, 9.15, 9.45, 9.45, 10.45, you know, every, every half hour. And so, um, so all I did was at nine o'clock, I stick another, you know, I have a scribe, even at my half hour slots, I have a scribe and, um, and I stuck at, uh, nine o'clock and then a, uh, noon patient. So right before lunch, another patient, uh, and then the same thing in the afternoon, we did a couple of things like, you know, add, added two new patients. And so what winds up happening is more often than not, I'm just totally, I have just the same number of patients that I want, right? Every half right, hour. Right, right. Um, but, but it's been wonderful because, you know, we can still handle if I've got to shorten, shorten those, those first couple appointments to 20, 20 minutes, I can do it. Um, but it rarely happens. And so kind of mitigating your schedule to be able to educate patients and, and keep you sane uh, and keep yeah, your practice and it makes sane, you, I think, is, it, I it, think it keeps growing. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it also just keeps the patient experience better because we're able to run on time. If somebody's late, we're still going to be able to catch up. Or when there's emergencies, we don't ever turn anybody away. You know, if somebody has a problem, yep. we're going to take care of it. So then they're so impressed. Thank you so much for seeing me. Of course, I would never, you know not see you if something's going wrong, you know, and wow, you saw me so fast, you know, so I just think it allows us more flexibility to provide the experience that we want to and to not get so far behind because there's, there's not everybody takes 30 minutes, obviously. So that lets me finish my charts too. It lets me catch up. It lets me squeeze in an extra person. So I think it works well for us at least. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. It's encouraging to hear that, um, you know, there's other practices out there to still have that kind of mentality um, and that are making it work really well. Have you ever yeah. um, read the book E-Myth? I haven't. I have it downloaded on my book? Kindle. I have it downloaded, but I have not read it yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. It's I think on my list. I, I, um, there are, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that uh, I've kind of wrestled with this of, because you brought the point up of, about, do you want to own more practices? And, I um I'm I, I kind of wrestle with with that as well. You know, we've kind of gone back and forth, and there's people certainly that think that you can e myth your e myth a practice. You know, you plug in a technician, um, and and that technician just is a very good technician. Um, mm-hmm. I tend to think that I'm like you. I think that if you have, I think it can be done, of course. But I think if you have a pulse on your practice and um and the patient population that you serve, uh. And the owner, or is in the practice on a regular basis, and they get a sense of what's really going on and how that practice works and runs. I don't. I think that's that can't be e myth. I, I just don't think it can. Yeah, yeah. I I would have to agree. I mean, like I said, I think it can be done. Like, but I don't know. Not not with that really personal touch. Yeah. Yeah, because I think there is a degree of, you know, even though, you know, you have, a, there is a degree of a family there, you know, and, and even though it kind of bothers mm-hmm. you a little bit, you know, we've got patients that still go down the street to Costco to get glasses and, you know, you, you sit and you donate to, you know, we donate to our parish and we'll see people. Right. <laughs> and it's okay. I mean, I understand why they make different decisions and I, you know, I get it. It's all right. But, um, but there still is that, that idea that, that like, well, I can still give back to my community and, and I am the face of, you know, my, me and my dad and, and our associate, we are the face of, of this practice in our community. And, um, and we'll be there to help when, you know, stuff happens and people need help. I think that's important. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's what makes it fun, you know, that you do know them and that you care about them and that they care about you. And, you know, that I'm sure when you have a child or I know when I've had babies, they bring me presents and they make monogrammed things for the kids, you know, like it's, it's nice. It's fun. (laughs) It's sweet. Yeah, totally. Do you think, um, so over the next, um, so how much longer is, is your other um, partner going to be practicing? You may, you said that you're different generations. So 10 years, 15 years? No. What do you think? Um, sooner than that. Within the next few years. Okay. Okay. Yeah, within the next so few years. So then do you have a, a plan for transition? Our plan at this point is for my husband and I to buy her out. And then we're uh-huh. still young. So at this point, we kind of see ourselves, just the two of us being the owners for the next foreseeable future. But definitely our goal eventually will be to, you know, have a, you know, maybe an associate who who buys in or definitely Uh our goal is that we really want our private, our practice to stay private. You know, we don't ever want to have to sell to a, a private equity or to a corporation because we just don't think that's what's best for the profession. We don't think that's what would be best for our patients or for our staff. Mm. So that's something that is very important to us, you know, that, that we stay private. So that kind of and, our, our, it's, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say that's maybe partly why too, we think maybe only one location makes sense, you know, too, because we just, yeah. There's a point where maybe you get too big and it's hard to manage it all and to keep that, to keep it private, you know, and that's, that's really important to us for both of well, us. It is interesting that the private equity stuff is, is interesting. I, you know, I, I, um, so tell me, you tell me why you don't think it's good for the profession. I don't think it's good for the profession because eventually I mean, it just turns into a corporate entity, which we've already discussed, lacks the personal test The you know, the reviews are not good. How do they stay in business? But if there are no other options, because that's all there is, that's right. all patients have, that's all doctors have, you know, that's, you don't have choice. That's not good. You know, that's not good for anybody when there's no choice. Um, so yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't think it's good. I'm, yeah, I don't like it yeah, at all. It's I tough think because I can't blame. I can't blame. Um, I can't blame a doctor who's you know ready to sell their practice, and somebody comes in and they're they're ready to be done. And I can't. Yeah. I can't blame somebody, especially in today's day and age. I mean, you guys, you and your husband are an anomaly. I mean, I, I don't know what your financial situation was coming out of school and how many how much loans you had, but there are very few people who. Um, are in your generation with the financial means or even the, um, I think there's a lot of desire, right? There's a lot of desire to be in private practice. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of I think, uncertainty. Yeah, I agree. And I think, so our our financial situation coming out was we had no money and we were in a ton of debt like everybody else, you yeah. know? So we both have all loans, you know, my husband, all loans from undergrad and optometry school. Um I had a scholarship in undergrad, but all loans for optometry school as well. We both had some scholarship money, but basically we came out, I don't know exactly how much in debt, but I would say at least $250,000 between the two of us, maybe more. You know, I'm not sure the exact number, but plenty of debt. You know, we didn't have any money and nobody was giving us any money. Um, 
but what I think there's a, a misconception or a disconnect on both sides. Like you said, young doctors feeling like, gosh, I am in so much debt. There's no way I can own a practice. I have to work corporate. And there's older doctors saying, well, there's no way a young student in all this debt can buy my practice and I need to get whatever my practice is worth. But what I would say yeah. is that a practice that's producing and doing well and growing is going to pay for itself. So if you, yeah. you know, talk to your advisors, there's plenty of people out there who can help you figure all this stuff out. But if you look at the the money and the cash flow of the practice, there's going to be a certain amount that pays you and a certain amount that you're paying your loan with. And if you're growing the practice, right. you're going to end up on top. Because I own a practice and it's doing well, my debt, I can pay my debt more easily. You know, like my student debt right. is more easily paid because I own a practice. So it's helping me pay my debt. It's not a detriment to me. So I think there's just this Correct. misconception on both sides. So I wish there was... I like that now Vision Source is trying to get into the schools more and is doing the Vision Source next because the only people they usually have in front of them is the the corporations because they've got the resources and the people to send in there. So we do need to put private practice yeah. in front of the students. Um, SEO tries to do some of that where I went to school. Um, they the Hayes Center Jerry Hayes um, is a you know a big guy in in private practice optometry, and he's an alumnus who yeah. has. Um, set up a, a Hayes Center, like a, a resource center for private practice um, at SEO. So that's been a great uh, resource as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool to hear you talk about that because um, there's very few people that have kind of really thought through. Um, I feel like I've thought about private equity a lot. I think there's a lot of people within Vision Source and outside of Vision Source, you're hearing kind of these these people that have sold their practices to private equity and kind of talking about the, the positives and negatives. But I tend to think, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I can't blame, like I was saying before, I can't blame a doctor. Yeah, who's ready to I can't come either. And sell it to private practice. But I, but I do yeah. think it's not probably in the best interest of the profession. Exactly. And even if you initially sell to a private equity that seems like it has the best interests of the patients at heart and it's sort of running like a private practice, what is that going to end up? at at the next level, you know, when it's at bought the next, the next time, you know, eventually it's going to lose that. It's in my opinion, you know. I just think yeah. at least I would implore doctors older and younger to really consider that this can be done. And as an older doctor, look at all the options, try to find a younger doctor, use Vision Source as a resource to try to hook up with somebody who could buy your practice and if that's important to you, you know, if your legacy is important to you, you know, think about those things. There, there is a way to do it. And there are, so Tim and I, um, went and talked to the students at SEO last year, um, about this type of thing. And a lot of the students, at least they say they want to be in private practice and they say they want to own practices. So they just need to know that they can do it. And older doctors need to know that the students can do it also, you know, or that the younger doctors can do it as well. Mm -hmm. And that you are going yeah, to get paid totally for agree. your practice. You're going to get paid for your practice. Yeah. You know, you're going to get an appraisal. You're going to sit down and work it out. And if the money is there and if it makes sense, you're going to get paid for your practice. You're not going to have to give it what away. Do you think <laughs> That's right. That's right. 
so what do you think? This is this is kind of one thing that um, I wasn't actually planning on bringing up with you, but um, but since you kind of it's it kind of made me rethink about. So have you seen any of this stuff? Um, recently has come out a lot of of this um, unequal pay uh, in optometry women unequal pay in optometry. Have you seen anything about that? I have. I haven't experienced it personally, but. I don't yeah, I don't know what to make of it, I guess. I guess it's true if the stats say that. But yeah, I don't yeah, know. I, I, I don't know. I haven't seen the study. I haven't seen a study. So I don't know. Um I, I know it was a survey. Okay. But I'm just wondering. I guess the theory um, is always that maybe women work less if they, they're working part time, if they want to stay home or um I would hope and think that a woman working full time would be making the same as anybody else. And certainly, I don't know, for me being, I never felt like I was going to get any less from being a woman, but you also have to yeah, know what you're worth and go for that. Yeah. So this is me being naive because I haven't actually, I haven't been able to actually find the study that's being referenced with those headlines. So I'm just sort of assuming, but but the headline that I remember seeing was that females in optometry make 25% less than males in optometry. And and that's absolutely like that should not be if if that's true be, and and it is is the case that you know a female in optometry is doing this much work and working this many hours and providing these services and a male optometrist is providing the exact same service for the exact same hours, exact same population, all those sorts of things, right? Then, then yeah, I mean, not right. That that should not exist. Yeah, absolutely. But I I just absolutely. can't en- envision a situation where that happens. As as much as like a, especially as an independent um, provider, somebody that owns their own practice. I mean, that stuff is on you. Wouldn't you think? Wouldn't you think those like how much you're going to work and how much you're going to make? Wouldn't you think that just comes down to the de- decisions that you're making? I would think so. Yeah, absolutely. It's but yes, as an owner for sure. It does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would be interested to hear. I'd have to know more about it. Yeah, I would too. Was this a recent um, headline? um, I can't remember. I saw an email. I I saw an email that was, uh, they were going to do a, like a Facebook live or something like that on it. And it was the, it was, there were these student researchers from, I can't remember the school either, but Anyway, that was the headline. And so it was a mm-hmm. survey they did and they did it for like their capstone project or their like fourth okay. year research project they had to do. And um, again, I, you know, I, I just, um, I just can't. So if I think of like Christina Wolf, who owns as much of a practice as Chris Wolf does and sees patients just as many days a week as he does and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I just don't, and, and has the same mannerisms and the same, you know, uh, recommendations. We, we do all, I mean, I just don't, I don't see that, but maybe I'm missing something else there. Maybe it's the case. Different option. Yeah, I don't either. It's, yeah, definitely when you own your practice, you control how much money you're going to make. And then I feel like yeah. in corporate, I don't know, I've never worked corporate, but from what I've heard, you know, you, you're getting paid a certain salary and then you're getting bonus by what you bring in. So that's based on you as well. But maybe more women work part-time. Maybe some of the older doctors are yeah. more men, you know, now the the shift is much more women, but the maybe the older doctors are making more. They've been in practice longer. They own more practices. 
But yeah. yeah, I'm not sure. I'm going to have to do more research on that. I, it's just I certainly think the having... opportunity is there either way. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Well, Courtney, I want to be respectful of your time. I, um, I really appreciate our conversation tonight. And, um, and thank yeah, you so absolutely. much for being on. And we'll have to do this again. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Yeah.